Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash spookshow. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Sometimes here on the All-American Spook Show Horror Podcast, we pause to focus on the masters, subjects, and icons that make the horror genre so great. So join us this week for the Spook Show Spotlight. Hello and welcome to yet another edition of the All-American Spook Show Horror Podcast. I'm Josh. I'm joined here with Donnie. Hey. And the Professor Smoke. What's up? Will is usually with us, but as as per usual here lately, he's on assignment, so uh, he's not going to be here today. But uh, today we're we're taking another uh, special time out to uh, have another guest on, since it's kind of our unofficial Canon Films Month. Uh, we say that, but just because we kind of tripped and fell into this whole Canon thing this month, like we 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 decided a little ways out to watch New Year's Evil, and then just randomly uh, uh, we did a Canon poll over on our Patreon, and then Ten to Midnight won it. So. We're like, all right, well, let's just, uh, you know, spend some extra time and get a couple guests on and talk about Canon Films and, um, you know, what it means to all of us and just kind of some background and history of it and all that. And we, uh, we had Paul Talbot on, you know, a couple weeks ago. So uh, now we're, we're here to introduce author Austin Trunick, who wrote The Canon Film Guide, Volume 1, 1980 through 1984. Austin, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm yeah. eager to be here. Basically, I, you know, I guess we'll just talk about uh, what your history is with Canon, you know, some of your favorite Canon stuff, you know, about this book, the, the books you have coming out, all that kind of stuff. You know, that, that's what we'll get into today. So um, I guess, you know, we'll start off as, as simple as what's your history with Canon Films? Well, I grew up in the, I mean, I came of age, learned to love movies during the video store era. And that was, I had a dad who worked a lot and... Really, the only time I got to see him was on Fridays when I was a young kid. We'd go to the movie store. We'd rent a stack of movies. You'd be there for 10 minutes and you'd decide everything you were going to watch that weekend and take them home. And yeah, my father was, I, I watched a lot of horror movies with him, action movies, especially action movies, Chuck Norris and things like that. And I, so I was familiar with Canon because of that reason. They had these video store boxes that were huge. You couldn't miss them. Always amazing art. They knew how to sell their films. And especially when you're, you know, young, young growing boy, your eyes gravitate towards the stuff that they would put on their covers. And then, you know, I got older and I could rent my own movies. And thankfully that back in the days of those, the mom pop video stores, you didn't have to, they were very lenient about renting R rated <laughs> movies to yeah. 12, 13 year olds. And so I would rent a movie after school, my buddies and I would go to one of their houses, you know, turn it on in their basement, you know, watch whether it's, you know, like Reanimator, which you recently discussed, or something like Enter the Ninja, Revenge of the Ninja, movies that I gravitated towards and was my days to pick. Those were the kind of things I'd pull off the shelf. And years later, years later, I ended up writing about film as an adult and trying to think back on something that I would want to write about to occupy myself, really be my own project rather than assignment for somebody else. And I kept gravitating back towards canon because these are the movies that are the reason why I love movies. I love all sorts of movies now, but I love just the whole thing about watching a movie because of those trips to the video store with my dad and running Chuck Norris movies, really. 
Bronson. <laughs> so is that why you uh, naturally decided to write a book about canon, or was it just because there there isn't really a lot of books specific to canon out there, at least not that I've seen many of them? Yeah, there really aren't, and that's what surprised me. There you get, you know, especially when DVDs and Blu-rays were coming out, and you'd have commentaries. You had Mark Hartley's documentary about canon that he put out a few years ago. And you hear all these incredible stories these directors and actors telling these wild, insane, hard-to-believe tales about the producers going in Globus. And yeah, I was surprised there wasn't more of a book out there that was just about these outside of Electric Boogaloo, which is a fantastic documentary, and the Go-Go Boys, the one they produced to compete with Electric Boogaloo. Yeah. And uh, Paul Tabitz, two excellent, excellent Bronson books. There's not really any great comprehensive book mm. on the subject. So yeah, at that point, I just started writing these things and writing the, what became some of the chapters in these, in these books and started reaching out for interviews. And once you do one interview, you'd want to talk to another person or they'd suggest somebody you should talk to. And it just snowballed from there. Originally, it was going to be a book of one book of my 50 favorite canon movies and the stories behind them. And eventually it just, I wanted to write about as many as I could. And by the time the project's done, it's going to be over, well over a hundred of their, their movies and hopefully over a hundred interviews. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the interviews, like first off, you've got the forward by Sam Furstenberg. Uh, in the mm -hmm. book. That, that is awesome. awesome. And you got an interview with him too, but how cool was that to get to talk to him? Oh, it was amazing. Sam, Sam's one of the coolest, nicest people who ever worked in movies that I've ever interacted with. Mm -hmm. And I've never met anyone who has a story about him losing his temper or <laughs> getting cross or anything like that. He's just the nicest guy. And yeah, he was, he was a huge support because he's someone who put me through in contact with a lot of people and was a willing to uh, provide photos and things like that. But yeah, he, especially, I mean, his, his story is so tied in with Canon. He worked with Golden Globus from before they came to Canon and really he was there the whole time until really the whole thing fell apart. And being a young filmmaker, he could make these movies that, even though they had a low budget, were very, he got a lot of bang for his buck, a lot of extra production value out of these small budgets. And he's, just, yeah, just a, a great filmmaker and super, super nice guy. I'm extremely grateful for everything he's done for me, helping out in these books. Yeah, I've actually uh, got a copy of the book right here. Oh, awesome. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, some of the interviews you got in here were with uh, actress Lisa London, uh, Catherine Mary Stewart. Uh, let's see, Diane Franklin, Joe Rubbo. Is that how you say his name? Rubbo? Rubbo? Yeah, I believe so. Rubbo. Rubbo uh, uh, actor Andrew Stevens, Luigi Cosi, Marella D'Angelo. I mean, there, there's tons of others, man. I mean, even Boogaloo Shrimp. Uh, <laughs> that's awesome. I mean, like, what, what do you think, like, as far as, like, the ones that you got to interview there? I mean, obviously, some of the bigger names, like Boogaloo Shrimp, Catherine Mary Stewart, something like that. Uh, what was your favorite interview of the ones you did? Or, or, or are there any in interesting tidbits that you didn't get into the book from any of those interviews that you got for it? Well, I mean, Sa Sam Furstenberg was an amazing one because he had every every story. Uh, Catherine Mary Stewart's a great one because she became sort of this 80s cult icon. And that would never have happened had Menach and Golan just sort of saw her in line somewhere and pulled her in and forced her to auditions. That was, And she was also someone who believed in me, her and Lisa Linden both very early in the book, but were just, you know, at that point, I was just some guy yeah. <laughs> claiming I wanted to write a book, you know, five, six years ago. And they took the chance on me first. 
There's ones in the second one that I'm actually just kind of in the very last stages. It's all in layout. I'm going through and correcting, you know, little names here and there that may have been off and making sure the pictures are in the right place. But the second volume, I got to talk to Wings Hauser, which was amazing. Uh, Michael Dudikoff is another guy who I never dreamed of getting. But awesome. once the first one was out there, it was easier to get people yeah. to participate. Uh, uh, Bill Mosley is some guy, as, as, as somebody who grew up watching horror movies, someone who was just an awesome person to talk to. And Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 is the movie that really made, I mean, it made him an actor, but also not just an actor, but sent him down just this path of making horror movies yeah. that being what he's known for. Yeah. Now, and now he's like a horror icon, you know, yeah. we're, we're like straight a up. film icon straight, you know, but definitely yeah. a horror icon for sure. More so. That's awesome. Though. Yeah. yeah. Like, was there, were there anything like, kind of like, you know, like I said, left off the table that, uh, anything interesting yeah, so, that you, that you heard that you didn't leave in or, you know, that you, that didn't make it to the book? Yeah. Well, like covering your floor. Yeah. Well, yeah. as far as the interviews, I try not to cut them too much unless there, there, there were cases where people would be like, Oh, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have mentioned this. Can you please retract that or something that, yeah, yeah. and like a few things where, I mean, anytime you're doing an interview and publishing it anywhere, if you can't confirm from another source and it could be true, yeah. I'm not trying to protect people, but unless I can one sided story, you, you wouldn't want to. Right. Yeah. Right. So if I couldn't corroborate a story somewhere else, I would have to make the hard choice to, to cut it, cut it out. But for the most part, I don't touch the interviews too much. I, I I just clean them up a little bit, and they're in there. There's some very long ones in the second one. And a guy who some someone I had uh, talked to for the second one who actually passed away about four years ago is James Karen. Hmm. He was in Invaders from Mars, but he's the old man from the Return of the Living Dead movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, I I talked to him right before he passed away, oh. and he had stories about you know quitting acting for a while to go fight in world war ii and understudying marlon brando and just some amazing amazing tales and that was one that i talked to him for almost two and a half hours and <laughs> there's wow, there's awesome. things i had to so someday when when that is you know once the book is out i might look for a place to post the rest of the stuff that yeah, i caught that maybe, wasn't really like uh, really vo canon. volume four the cutting room floor or something like that <laughs> <laughs> something like that how long did it take you to write this? Uh, I guess this first one, and then you know now these subsequent books. It was about four years between when I started and when the second one was actually accepted for publication. So I've, I've been at it all together since 2015. It's hard to say because I started writing it out of order. So there are certain things like Invasion USA chapter that's going to be in book two. Mm -hmm. I actually started writing. I wrote the bulk of that chapter back in 2016. Just. So it's sort of, I, it's hard to say, but yeah, seven years in total is it and safe the to second that, one will be out this spring. That's what I was going to say uh, here in a second, but like, is it safe mm -hmm. to say this probably started off as something like here are a handful of my favorite movies. And then it just kind of grew into, you know what, let's just do the whole thing kind of thing. Or <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. There, because once you find out about one story, you hear one story from uh, somebody and then you end up seeking out another movie and. Canon something that you can keep scratching and getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And you, they put out so much at the, I think in the, the, at their height, they were putting out almost a film every week, which is crazy, crazy to think. Yeah. I would, I would watch something and it would make me seek something else out. And it happened pretty early that I just, I just decided, okay, I've got to do 
as much as I can, try to capture all that I can. So yeah, it got, grew so fast. You've got, <laughs> so you've got this one. This one's what? Almost 600 pages, give or take? Yeah, well, 500 and something, uh, mm -hmm. 508, I guess, you know, not counting like the, the appendix in the back or whatever. But uh, so you've got two more coming, right? I, I assume mm -hmm. they'll probably be about the similar length. Actually, the second one is substantially bigger. It's it's going to be a doorstop as far as the, the size. <laughs> it's like, it's like the, Lord of the Rings, about five years of canon films. Yeah, yeah. Well, that one's it covers 85, 37, so it's just three years. But oh, wow. during that time, they were True, that's putting what, out multiple movies in one weekend competing against themselves. Yeah, I think that's when they cranked out, like, what, almost 50 in one year or something like that? Yeah, yeah. yeah 86 was a crazy year at canon. But... Yeah, so the I'm looking at the layout, and the layout is about a thousand pages. So it might it might hit one thousand by the time you get all the extra like the back matter, like the index and stuff stuck in there. But just as far as pure text, I think it was nine hundred sixty eight pages. I'm excited wow. to get that out there. <laughs> Hopefully, not much gets cut out. I'd like to I'd like to uh, take a gander at the unedited version. <laughs> mm. <laughs> There's stuff like especially the James James Karen interview since he passed away afterwards, and well, yeah, it was yeah, only. That stuff I'm going to, I'll work to get out there. And uh, a lot of things like for the first book, I, you know, there's only so much room, especially for pictures and images and advertisements that a lot of that stuff I stick on Twitter and Facebook now, just extra things that yeah, yeah. I learn since the book has been published and stuff that I didn't have room for. When can it's we expect, a, you said the next one would come out in the spring of 2022, you said? Yeah. Soon? Yeah. yeah. We're, we're, we're shooting for the spring. So then, we are in the last, last couple weeks of actual putting everything together and then it can start production. So it's not far off now. Good. And the, and yeah, the third one, great, I, and the third one I would assume would probably be what sometime next year or two, something like that. Third one's going to take me a little while. Cause uh, like I said, I, it's, I started writing this thing out of order. Mm -hmm. And so certain movies that everybody knows for Canon and love, like invasion USA and Texas chainsaw Two and life force stuff that people, these big sort of tentpole movies over the top. I wrote about before I even had a publisher, the first one. Mm -hmm. the, once you get to 88 onwards, it'll, I just want to include the thing, basically 88 to 94 is the end of Canon. So it's a big chunk, but it was really when Canon was in trouble. It's a lot of direct to video movies outside of Bloodsport and Cyborg. They're two Van Damme movies. There aren't many big ones that people kind of rally around. So I've, I did not go for writing about those ones first. And the other thing I want to do, which is going to take a little more research, is Canon was big on pre-selling these movies. They would make up posters, make up advertisements, and take them to to Cannes, uh, out to different film festivals and sell the American film market and sell them. And once they had enough people who had bought, you know, 10 to Midnight's a great example they just had the title and a drawing of Bronson with a gun and a globe and some, some tagline about fighting terrorists. And they sold that. They made enough money by selling it to Japan, to Italy, to all these different countries, cable, VHS, that they took that and they used it to fund the movie and put the money into other movies. They, they always made a profit because they never they, they rarely spent more on the movies than they had already pre-sold them for. Mm -hmm. But because of this, they was you know they would go to these markets and it was like throwing throwing spaghetti at the wall to see what sticks. You'd have these big fat books and folders full of proposals and mocked up advertisements, and sometimes it would just be a photo of Bronson. It says Untitled Bronson Project, and mm -hmm. 
they would take these and sell them. There's no scripts, no ideas or anything like that. But they had so many because so many of these films, they just didn't, didn't have generate enough interest for them to go forward with making. So I have a right now, I think it was about 104, I think was the last count of projects that I have either proposals for or advertisements for that Canon had announced and then never got into making. There's a whole different version of American Ninja 3 that they wrote and just never never got off the yeah, ground. I remember seeing some of the B-roll in like both those documentaries, the Go-Go Boys and Electric Boogaloo, where like somebody's mm-hmm. flipping through a magazine or like a trade or something. And there's right, all right. those ads, those one-page ads that, you know, some of them I know didn't get made. You know, you could see just when they're flipping through it. Yeah, and that's that's I want to focus. I want to put some time into that just because so many of those there's they have like a name attached. So these are guys that I've Sam Furstenberg, for example. There, there's projects that he was announced attached to and then never directed. And James Bruner's another guy who wrote a lot of projects or would it, they would put his name as writing a script that he never wrote. And but I want to take like the a good section of that book and be like these are what these canon projects that were announced and never made here's what Canon's tried to sell them on. And this is what they would have been. This is as much as I can find out about what these movies might have looked like had they gone, gone into production. So sort of these like, sort of this like fantasy Bronson films, Chuck Norris movies that <laughs> it should have been eighties Chuck Norris movies that were never made. And it's fun to look at that stuff. Do you get into like say in the second volume or possibly thinking about in the third one, get into the, the uh, I guess scandals or, the uh you know the stuff that with the sec probe and all that kind of stuff toward you know the kind of the bitter end of things do you really get into that at all or yeah that start that starts really at the end of the the second volume at the end of 87 because they had the sec probe you had all these articles and stuff blowing up that you know they were misreporting all of the what they were investing in the movies and how much the movies were making and that was really after they had purchased uh, the Thorny MI and Elstree Studios and all these different things, basically spent all this money that they'd been given to make movies, all this credit that they had been advanced and blew it on real estate, which was a terrible idea. Yeah. <laughs> but so that stuff happens and that stuff kind of blew up in their face in 87. And then 88, you get Giancarlo Peretti coming in, who was really this con man uh from italy that buys them out buys out mgm and so it that starts really at the end of the end of this second book and in the third one yeah it's gonna have to cover it because that's that's a huge part of why canon went from making these i wouldn't say big but they're mid-budget movies to these you know back to the you know one two three million dollar movies they had started with that went straight to video it's you can just see this heavy 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 climb and then just sudden drop yeah. like a like a rock in 87 and, and once again you do see that and i think it's in the electric boogaloo uh mm-hmm. documentary where they're like where they get his interview golan's interview where he's saying like uh, i couldn't spend 30 million dollars on a movie I, I don't see how i could do this and then it shows like the budgets for two or three movies that were like you know 20 25 million you know uh, superman uh, mm-hmm. 4 i guess right so, you know some of the ones at the tail end they, yeah, they yeah. Some of those over, movies overextended themselves, I guess. Yeah, and and those it all sort of happened at once. You can see, especially it's fun writing about these. Like you have Superman four and Master of the Universe are two big examples where Canon <laughs> was shooting these films and they had budgets at one point and the budgets just run out. Um, there's a um, assassination is what they were what they were shooting with Bronson at the time, and they literally had to rip pages out of the script that they couldn't shoot. That's a very like 
very like trimmed down ending, but Master Universe very famously they had a guy ready to pull the plug. I, like they had a goon there working to pull the plug at the last shoot. And it happened when they were filming the last fight with Skeletor. So the movie almost didn't really have an ending. They had to like stay after or late. And it's a wild, it's it's a wild, wild story, but you can see certain films where Superman four, where they had a budget of around 30 million to start and went with almost half that. Yeah. And you can <laughs> Once see they actually it. went to make it. And you can see yeah, it. You can see it. Yeah, you can yeah. absolutely see the difference. <laughs> <laughs> I remember even when I was a kid watching that, you know, because that came out. What, what year did that come out? 87, 88? That was 87, yeah. So I was seven, seven or eight years old when that came out. Even then, I'm like, this doesn't look like the other ones, you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I guess that'll lead us into the more the more fun topics. You know, we don't want to dwell on the bitter end. I mean, I'm sure we'll get to that, like you said, in your yeah. Uh, in your third book and uh you know we there's enough of that especially like you know i'll bring up those two documentaries again you can definitely mm-hmm. see there there's a skewed view in both you know when you watch them <laughs> like you know they're they're very positive and they got a good outlook on themselves and the things that they accomplished in their own documentary meanwhile mm-hmm. uh the the other one was just here's all the people that they you know probably they wronged in some way and now they're yeah. just you know just slinging shit at them and, you know, at mm-hmm. least the way that's the way it seemed to me no. yeah and i i've I've encountered the same thing. You have people who I'll bring up a Canon movie and you can, you can, it, it'll clearly bring up bad memories and they won't want to talk about it. <laughs> and then people talking about that, you can bring, bring up the same movie to somebody else who worked on it and they'll be super excited. It was a great opportunity. And you know, there, there are the people who didn't get their checks on time and there are the people who always got paid on time. So uh, you can definitely there's, tell there's, there's two different kinds of reactions. It's like you say Canon films to one person, like, Oh shit, Canon films. <laughs> and then another, another person's like, Canon films, they're awesome. You know? So I guess we all fall on that side of the, of the spectrum, you know, here, but mm-hmm. it is interesting, you know, like there's not many in between, right? Like eh, they were okay, but you know, that kind of thing. You don't hear that very often. You, no, that you yeah, love it or it's... you hate it kind of. Mm-hmm. It seems to be very like a pulls. Yeah. <laughs> One side or the, the other you fall it. onto. Time for refreshment. Refreshment. For your enjoyment, there's hot, fresh popcorn, tempting, delicious hot dogs, and so many kinds of ice cream. And of course, sparkling, delicious, ice cold Coca Cola for everybody at the refreshment counter now. So, you know, just some other random questions that we had. What was your first Canon film you ever saw in the theater or like say on VHS, you know, back in the day? Okay. Well, there's, I gotta, I gotta go back a ways. I didn't live near a movie theater. So I saw very few movies as a kid. I I grew up out in Ohio, kind of middle of nowhere. So everything I saw was on VHS until I hit, you know, much older age. And, but so, I mean, Invasion USA might be, might be it there there are movies that I, I remember seeing the i have very distinct memories of seeing as a kid just the cover but yeah invasion usa is one um masters universe because i was a kid and i remember oh, being yeah. excited to rent that and yeah. being a little confused why it didn't look or seem anything like the cartoon <laughs> um, oh yeah yeah i remember my brother and i because uh once again we were about the same age seven or eight Something like that yeah. when that came out, and uh, we're mm-hmm. just like, who are these characters? You know, <laughs> who's this? I don't remember that. Who's this Gwildor guy? Gwildor. Where's Orko? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the first. Like, <laughs> yeah. they, got, they got this guy Gwildor, but where's Orko? Clearly, they didn't want to spend the uh, the money on you know some special effect to make a uh, a flying ghost guy. You know. Yeah that 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 was a movie that they they knew where the budget they had and they knew where would be the most effective places to put it. <laughs> that being said, uh, we it, watched the cover. They did manage it. to. Uh... They managed to stick the song in there, though. Uh, Living in a box. Oh God! And Masters of the. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Every time. That <laughs> that damn song. <laughs> oh my God. Um, but okay, I, I guess another question for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, pick one favorite from the first five years of canon. So, like, you know, more specific to this book that you wrote. Oh, I mean, that's easy. That's that's Revenge of the Ninja for me. Ah. That is a movie that. Like, even though I didn't see it super young, I remember seeing the cover and then getting to be a little bit older where I go to the video store with myself by myself or with some buddies. That was one of the first movies I grabbed because that that cover is I got it over here somewhere. But one of the most beautiful pieces of artwork, in my opinion, you have (laughs) a ninja who seems to be I don't know if he was dropped out of a helicopter or if he can fly, but he's he's clearly several like I think it's several hundred. 100 meters above the you know salt lake city i think is where, oh, where they are in that one <laughs> no, nothing like those salt gone lakes. and throwing shurikens at the same time it's 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 wonderful and everyone, what what 10 year old boy does not just obsess over this cover everyone knows uh, about the, uh, the 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 deep legends of the salt lake city ninjas <laughs> oh man so with that actually would you say that would be your uh, your favorite canon film or do you have another favorite that's I, that, I mean it's a tough question but definitely a top it's up there in top five and yeah if, if somebody were to ask me to pick my number one favorite canon movie it would be i would look i would grab revenge of the ninja <laughs> there are some that are up there that are close but that's number I, one for I, me. honestly i don't even know if i could answer that like i don't know if i have one in particular like yep this is the one i don't know mm-hmm. that's tough because there, there's a lot of there's a lot of really good ones you know for uh, mm-hmm. our scale so to speak right like uh we often tell guests on the show, like our scale is like, for instance, uh, uh, Smoke, he gave Reanimator five stars. So like, <laughs> that's kind of you know zero to five stars is our scale. So if Reanimator is five stars, you know, kind of that's where the gauge of everything else is, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, there's a lot of movies that Canon made that are you know going to be higher on our scale than they would be on your regular, like if you're pitting it against The Godfather or something like that. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I mean there there are a bunch that. I love. And I think also when you're writing a book and kind of watching these movies over and over again, you know, four or five, six times if for some of the, some of the ones that I wasn't familiar with already, your bar lowers a little bit. I think mine has. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I, can, I, can, I can say just from reading, you know, what I've read of this book, uh, you're doing the Lord's work because some of these, <laughs> some of these movies, man, because like you inspired me to kind of go on a little bit of a journey myself and like start watching them you know, kind of from the beginning and going through mm-hmm. it or whatever. And man, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hype, the Apple, <laughs> Lady Chatterley's Lover, man. God damn. I'm, I'm sorry. They suck. <laughs> there are some, some that are really, really rough even. And, and like I said, like if I've got to watch them several times to write about them, it, some of them are a real, a real chore. Yeah, I, I'm not going to pretend I do. I do love canon, and I, I I do grade their movies on a scale personally. But even me, there's 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 some bad ones in there. Sorry if I'm a giggling mess over here. Yeah. Anytime Josh has any sort of misery, I just revel in it. Yeah. I just 
just laughing at Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hype. Yeah. I think, like, out of the oh. ones I've watched so far, you know, other than just some mm-hmm. ones I've watched in the past, man, that's got to be the worst because it's just, it's over the top. It's too over the top. It's, I, I don't even know, like, it's not even funny. It's so over the top, you know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that that one's that one's rough. I'm probably the if I were to pick my worst one in in the first volume, there's a movie in there called Secret of Yolanda. That is hard, hard, hard to get through. (laughs) I guess I'll get there eventually. You know, if I keep (laughs) if I don't bail sometime, like I'm actually watching Lady Chatterley's Lover like right now. I'm like about halfway, well, more than halfway through it. Yeah, I I mean. uh, there might be a point where I have to jump <laughs> off. You know, I'm not writing a book. So I'm like, you know, fuck this. I'm out. But, but, hey, you yeah, know, yeah. You never know. You never know. I mean, I'll keep going as long as I can stomach it. <laughs> you have to let so me out. There. Also, uh, uh, what would you say would be the most underrated uh, canon film? Maybe, maybe it got, you know, a little bit too much flack. Maybe it didn't exactly, uh, you know, deserve as much flack as it got. What, what would you say was you know, the most underrated and, you know, why do you think it's underrated? Oh, this is probably cheating a little bit, but one that, because it's, it's one of the few movies that kind of made that got Oscar nominations, but runaway train, I feel is very underseen. I, I think it's, I mean, it's an amazing film, not just for Canon. I mean, the idea that it came from Canon is awesome and it's, it's great for them, but it's, it's just a movie that is just a wonderful tense thrilling film with some great performances in it and that's one that was relatively tough to see until uh, blu-ray just came out last year Hmm. and that's one that i mean if anybody hasn't seen seen that from canon it's not it's not one of the more obscure ones but it's one that i definitely like just just watch this if you haven't if i can grab somebody and have them shake them and have them watch something because it's also one that I, i i don't think you have to be someone who's already inclined to watch ninja movies or charlie bronson movies to mm-hmm. yeah. really get something out of that one yeah i'd say that goes for a lot of their movies honestly though you kind of have to like that kind of stuff already you know to really mm. to really get it or or you know find it more entertaining than your average flick that's for sure mm-hmm. and there's so i mean there's there's bunches of them that i i i'll you can tell usually by how much time I dedicate. I mean, how many pages I dedicate to the book. Because usually, if I'm more interested in a movie, I write more about it. But there are some some in there that have very long chapters and that are kind of lesser known, lesser known films. Just personally, because it interested me the the story behind it. And I, if if I could watch the film multiple times and not get tired of it, I tended to write more about it. Yeah, like I said, some of these watching them the. Just the thought of having to watch them two, three, four times, man. <laughs> like, you know, I've seen it once. I'm good, you know, but like, man, good work. That's all I can say. Good work, man. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Oh, yeah. Austin, speak, speaking of lowering the bar, this is going to be canon related, but indirectly canon related and talking about ninja movies uh, and the video stores. I'm sure that uh, at some point, you know, if you're a fan of ninja movies, of course, you saw Under the Ninja, Revenge of the Ninja, Ninja 3. At some point, you probably came across godfrey hose movies <laughs> something mm-hmm. like ninja terminator or something you rent yeah, this you're thinking, oh wow i saw ninja three let me write full, rent ninja terminator that's gotta be great <laughs> full, me- full metal ninja ninja the protector yeah, I, I remember those two i don't i don't know what ones other ones they had at my video store but i remember those two covers because they had the shiny like foil yeah the, shiny covers, like, foil. the swords always sort of lit up and yeah i mean those, those you definitely i i rented a few of those and 
had a hard time making making sense of them and you get to be older and then you realize that these are you know the same 30 films that get chopped up and recut together you know yeah yeah i have a, have a bit of a soft spot for them in my later years now i mean i can watch them for you know just for the entertainment value of them of course back then when you were younger you, you feel like you got duped into you know running it and you're like oh <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah I, have like a, I can watch them now you know, in retrospect yeah they're they're fun that's something i wonder if there's a I hope somebody out there is working on a book about yeah. <laughs> the Godfrey Ho yeah, Empire. Yeah, but you definitely don't want to work on that, right? No. <laughs> that's not next for you, right? No, that's for somebody else. Somebody else can take that one. <laughs> yeah. I've, no. got, I've got way too many direct-to-video canon movies ahead of me. I might not want to watch, Donnie, watch maybe, anymore. Donnie, maybe that's what you can work on next. You can, uh, nah, negative. <laughs> We're um we're about to start two two new series uh kind of like um one's gonna be for Patreon and another one's gonna be for like the main podcast feed um because basically our pattern is like we watch an older we watch a horror a older horror movie and then a newer horror movie like every two weeks we go mm-hmm. back and forth and our line of embarkation is uh 1999 back is considered old and then 2000 up is considered new. Uh, so, but we're going to kind of interject some like cult movies and stuff. Cause mostly we've, you know, we've done a couple of like random, you know, non-horror cult movies, but, um, one of the series that we're going to start interjecting, we're, we're going to call it cult corner where we'll get mm-hmm. to see a lot of these, you know, maybe a, some Kung Fu movies, ninja movies, stuff like that, you know, just interject some different kind of stuff in there. So, um, look for that soon, yeah. you know, so we're going to be mixing it up. So maybe we can get into some of his movies. When we start doing yeah. that. Now, another one that we're going to be doing for uh, Patreon is we're going to call it Crapster Peace Theater, where this is going to be the worst, you know, like the Apple, for instance, like, you know, just <laughs> the, the worst stuff, you know, and then you can listen to us talk about those over on their Patreon. But, you know, oh, I'll look for yeah, yeah. Mixing it up with some new stuff. But I just figured I'd throw that out there. We're, we'll be coming more into your your neck of the woods with the cult movies and stuff here pretty soon. Oh, that's and great. Of course, Canon had, had a lot of good horror movies as well, but. Um, you know, mostly they're known for what the breakdancing movies and the ninja and yeah, you know, that kind of stuff. But yeah, they're they did surprisingly, I mean, for as many movies as they put out, surprisingly few horror movies. They also never never did a western, which is a <laughs> shock. I mean, that was out of fashion by the 80s, but you think of say, all yeah. the genres they did, that's they never touched the western. But yeah, the, their horror movies early on, they did a bunch because they were kind of more into the um lean more into that sort of like grindhouse drive-in sort of audience but that's where you get new year's evil which i listen to you guys talking about pretty recently yep and you had hospital mass massacre aka x-ray you had um ten of midnight which i'll qualify yeah schizoid right i mean that would kind get of schizoid yeah yeah and but after that like they kind of you you have something like life force which is has some horror elements but is more science fiction science fiction zombie movie maybe if you stretch it mm-hmm. and then ninja three the domination which has you know yeah. it's ninja movie slash dance movie slash exorcism movie <laughs> that movie is nuts uh, crazy yeah. crazy but yeah, yeah. That, that was kind of like this let's take enter the ninja breaking and exorcist to make a movie out of that <laughs> yeah. yeah every uh every episode of uh, uh the professor uh, when he does his uh uh, Patreon episode, Library of the Professor. You always see the Ninja Three Domination poster uh, off. Yeah, yeah off you, can right see you can see it there. Yeah. Always there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. the one they put out for the uh, Blu-ray. I believe it was. Uh, I forget right now who released the Blu-ray, but they had this thing where if you send it in, you could get a free poster. 
That's not oh, the original cool. poster, but the Blu-ray re-release poster, I guess. Mm-hmm. That's a fun, fun movie. That's uh, <laughs> another Sam Furstenberg classic there. Yeah. yeah. But right, so they, also, they, they actually did, I mean, you want to include uh, House of the Long Shadows. Do I have that one handy oh, here. That's the one with which, uh, Vincent Price and stuff, right? Vincent Price, yeah. Peter yeah. Yeah, um, John Carradine, Christopher yeah. Lee. Christopher the only time all four of those guys work together, and I get some, I mean, I got some cool photos that you see you see all the time of the four of them, and they came from the production of that one. That one's a that one's a funny movie because it was sort of made originally in the vein of you know with the old Hammer type or classic, mm-hmm. you know, fifties sixties horror movies, but when they went to release it, they kind of canon kind of recut it and tried to market it as a 80s <laughs> horror movie and it was it was not that it was kind of just a send-up of the 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 older older ones but yeah the version we got ended up by being kind of a kind of a butchered version unfortunately you mentioned it a minute ago but uh i, I guess now's as good a time as any to maybe get your thoughts on it like like you uh said we just recently did new year's evil like back at the fr- beginning of the year and mm-hmm. then um Literally, what, just a, uh, a week, a couple, two, well, it'll be last week uh, when we did 10 to Midnight. So could you give us maybe any thoughts on either one of those movies, any any interesting tidbits or anything like that? And then maybe even your own personal, like, star ratings on those. Well, uh, New Year's Evil, I mean, there's there, there are things I love. I love the, I love the soundtrack. <laughs> you get the same song over <laughs> and over say, again. I what but soundtrack? It's... it's just one damn song over and over <laughs> It's a catchy song, though. Well, it's... I'll give you that. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> yeah, it gets in there and just burrows into your brain for you know the next week. <laughs> yeah, that was one of the few releases Canon put that out on forty-five on their own Canon Records, which I, they were sure it was going to be a hit song, and it didn't. I'm sure there's some landfill somewhere full of. I was, no, I was about to say Smoke probably has them with all the extra copies of uh, <laughs> ET from Atari. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's it's out in the New Mexican desert. I'm yeah. sure. <laughs> the yeah, but the New Year's Evil. I mean, I I like that they. Some I think it's kind of cool that they show the the bad guy like right away. You know, they don't they don't make you guess at who he is or what he looks like. You you first see him, he's on the phone without a mask on, talking in a funny voice. There's I mean, I like that they lean into the holiday. Which, that's cool. And it was shot in three weeks. Shot in three weeks, and like in October of that year and put out before new year's which is crazy how do you how do you so i i'll again it's a canon scale but if we were to compare it to you mentioned 10 to midnight 10 to midnight is a in my opinion a far far better movie that's probably my favorite of bronson's canon canon movies and he made a lot of them but I, i i do like it's this kind of hybrid of you know this police procedural and a slasher that it becomes at the end so i'm i'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of 10 to midnight so if you ask me to compare them i would put 10 to midnight like very high and if we're grading on a canon scale that's a five for me and new year's evil is two two and a half for being generous somewhere somewhere in the middle yeah that sounds about like what i think what we all kind of thought about yeah new year's evil. yeah it was pretty pretty much right on yeah yeah all right well, i'm looking forward to listening to that yeah, yeah, I haven't heard the Ten and Midnight episode yet. Yeah, I'm yeah. excited. Uh, Josh and Willie, who's actually, uh, as we mentioned earlier, uh, on assignment, um, uh, both of them are lifelong comic collectors, and you used to work for uh, DC Comics. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. What was that like? You know what? Or you know, do you have a 
or uh, do you have a favorite memory from your your time there? I mean, DC was awesome. I worked with some great people. That was while they were in New York. I worked with them some of those last years before they moved out to to Los Angeles. I got to I got to meet a lot of my. I mean, I'm I, I grew up a comic fan and got to meet a lot of the people that I I really loved. I, one of my memories, and I got to meet some really cool people. But one that very personally for me is. Having grown up, the the one comic book that I would always buy is the old Marvel Transformers books. And right at the end, Simon Furman wrote this really kind of cool, like epic space opera run. He took it off of Earth and, you know, Transformers were spread out all on different planets and different things going on. And the British writer and somebody that I just, I loved his stuff. And one San Diego, I was out, uh, I was out working because I worked in PR. So we'd go out to dinner and stuff with people. But I came back to the hotel and Simon Furman was there just sitting in the at, at the bar. <laughs> he had just come back and I got to sit down and introduce myself. And just he's somebody he, my, my 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 favorite comic book stories I read as a kid and just getting to sit and have a drink with him. And that was that was so cool. And there, there are other people that I love and memories I'll cherish. I, I got to work a lot with Darwin Cook, who passed away a while back. but was a great great comics writer and illustrator and wrote yeah. some of my favorite dc superhero tales but yeah like there there were just tons of tons of people and part of my mad magazine also was published by by dc and so that was one of my specific areas that i had worked on that was where i did their pr for several years and just getting to go down to the mad magazine offices is <laughs> something if you grew up in the 80s and you were yeah grew up in the nineties and they, those, those comics, those were something that was felt very transgressive every time you'd open them, even though they'd be, you know, pretty like weird out level of like, they were pretty tame back, yeah. back yeah. then. But those guys, they, they, they always would call themselves the usual gang of idiots, how they signed all the, mm-hmm. all the letterhead and the masthead inside the the books and getting out, getting to work with the usual gang of idiots on a regular basis was, was very cool. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I was a huge fan of like uh, obviously like uh, yeah. Johnny said comic books, but uh, Mad Magazine and th- you know growing up as well. Now, every oh, yeah, every yeah. once in a while, I still I still pick up an issue because they st- mm-hmm. they actually stopped making like new issues, right? I think of Mad Magazine, but they still, for a like... little while. Yeah, actually, while I was there, they had ceased for just like a very short amount of time. They would mm-hmm. come and go, and that was one of the most heartbreaking PR <laughs> stories to have to work on. Yeah, that's. But yeah, they're mad. Mad is def- definitely holds a special, special place in my heart. Those guys were all super funny too, and some of those guys, some of them, Al Jaffe, was the guy who did the fold folding yeah. st- pages in the yeah. back that you would turn and they make a different picture. And yeah, he's yeah. he'd been doing that since forever. You know, since pretty much almost since the beginning of Mad in the fifties, mm-hmm. and just super nice guy super sharp and always <laughs> would always be coming into the office on a regular basis which is amazing when you're that old at that point yeah that was one of the things i was going to say when we were when the term mad magazine just came up the first thing i was thinking of was those folded you know back it was always the back page mm-hmm. right the back of the magazine where you fold it going into the grocery mm-hmm. store my parents uh i used to hate having to go to the grocery store they take me along and i go to the magazine section and then that's where i'd read each issue of mad that came out and if i could convince them to buy it for me i'd you know i'd buy the issue too but Every one of them always, every one of those back issues was always folded. So you can never oh, even yeah. get in the grocery store. You never find one that didn't have a folded. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure for people who try to collect them like comic books, that's got to be the biggest pain in the butt. You would think you know, so. Yeah. You, you want your mint condition copy, but 
everyone's just creased that back cover. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Anytime you'd go back and look for one, like uh, every every one would be already folded. You're like, damn it, where's the other one? <laughs> I would always try to fold them as carefully as possible. So I'm like, oh, there's the picture. And then like, you know, kind of put it back and smooth it out, you know. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, cool. Man, it's been, it's been a lot of fun talking to you. Uh, we don't want to hold you up any longer. Um, we, we definitely appreciate you coming on and uh, taking a little uh, stroll through Canon, Canon Films and your book. Um, where can everybody find you on the internets and uh, where can they pick up the book and everything? All right. I, it's at Canon Film Guide on both Twitter and Facebook. And like I said, I put, I'm posting on there all the time and it's all stuff that is either stuff I've learned since the book or things that didn't make it. So a lot of fun advertisements. It's a good way to keep the conversation going. If anybody ever has Canon questions, I'm more than happy to, you know, they ping me in either place to, to <laughs> chime in and answer where I can. And the book is, yeah, I mean, you can get it from bearmannermedia.com or Am Amazon or really anywhere that sells books, your, your local bookstore can order a copy for you. Yeah. It's, it's good yeah. work, man, for real. Like, uh, I'm, you know, I'm not deep into it. You know, I'd say at, at most maybe a quarter of a way through it, you know, and watching <laughs> some of the movies myself and everything, you, you did a really good job on it. No doubt. Um, oh, thank you. Thank you so not, much. A lot of these books, uh, you know, not to, you know, blow smoke up your ass or anything, but a lot of these kind of books you see are just like, here, here's a little blurb about the movie. This is maybe a poster. Here's when it came out next movie, you know, flipping. I mean, you really went in depth. Uh, you know, talking about the, you know, the plots of the movie and the background information and these interviews and everything. Um, you did a really good job on it, man. It's good, it's, Thank uh, you. It's good, that, that means a lot. That yeah. really does. Thank you. It, it'll be a, an excellent source, you know, not only here for the show for years to come, I'm sure, but um, just, you know, just watching the movies and wanting to find out some more information and stuff. It's a good, it's a good pull. So I would highly recommend uh, all the listeners and, you know, everyone out there to uh, go find this, track the book down, check it out. It's called The Canon Film Guide, Volume 1, 1980 through 1984 by Austin Trunick. Thanks for coming on, man. It's, it's been a blast. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank All you. Right, yeah, um, so I guess uh, that'll pretty much wrap it up here for this week on the All-American Spook Show Horror Podcast. And uh, uh, next week we'll be uh, watching uh, whichever movie won the Valentine's Day Patreon poll. That, that will be coming out next week. So uh, we'll, uh, we don't, as the recording of this, we don't have the official winner yet, so I'm not going to say, but it will be... Uh, one of the three choices between Valentine, uh, Pontypool, and help me out, one of you guys. What was the third option? Uh, uh, oh, My Bloody Valentine, yeah. the remake. Yeah, My yeah. Bloody Valentine, you know, 2009. 2009. So it'll be one of those three. That's all we can say for now. So uh, come back next week for that. And, uh, uh, you know, always go back to the archives and everything else that we've got there. You know, you can listen to the other uh, uh, shows that we've done. So for uh, Will, who couldn't be with us, and Donnie and the Professor Smoke, I'm Josh. We are the All-American Spook Show Horror Podcast, and we'll talk to you next week. Please replace the speaker on its rack when you're ready to leave. Failure to do so will damage both the speaker and your car. We'll be grateful, and so will the patrons who follow you.